G'day and welcome to the home of the fair crack and whistling cheeks here at Carnage House Productions. Um, there's a couple of things I just want to get off my chest a little bit before we start. Um, today, uh, well, this week really has been a week of eating a little bit of humble pie for me. Um, Dougal gave me a call a couple of days ago and he said, Look, mate, I listened to the last podcast and I'm not happy. Um, I've got a bone to pick with you. So last week in the podcast, if anyone listened to me, I kind of, I was quoting Johnny Ruddock when I was describing the way that left tends to be, uh, tends to uh, like try and overthrow the existing social structures and is kind of like anarchists in that sense, uh, without giving proper credence to the fact that that was just one aspect of, I guess, a general kind of personality, if you will, of the left. Um, but what I would say is what we try not to do on this podcast, if we can help it, is straw man the other side. So uh, we've criticised other people for straw manning before, um, and it's a little bit hypocritical of me to do the same thing. So uh, from here on, particularly, I'll try and be more conscious of that uh, because I definitely don't like that. Um, also, slightly more uh, trivial, I guess. Um, also realised that a lot of my social media content, particularly on Twitter, was heavily leaning one way, almost creating like a little bit of an echo chamber for myself. Um, so I rectified that. So this week has definitely been a week of eating a little bit of humble pie, but happy to do it. That's what we do on the show. Um, hopefully this will only make us better moving forward. Um, with me today is philosophy student. Um, Recommended to me by my brother as someone who is almost certainly smarter than Dougal, definitely smarter than me, probably. We'll see. Uh, Reese Rushton. Reese, how are you going today? Pretty good. Thank you for having me here. No, no worries. That's quite pleasure. an introduction. Thank you. That's okay. Making no. me blush already. Oh, well, you know, we are at my place, so I guess there's. We'll, we'll see s- what happens. We'll see what happens, won't we? Break out the wine. Break out the wine, maybe a few scented candles. Mm. Um, I've had a lot of requests for something like this. Um, As I mentioned to you just before, um, there is, of course, the hot topic at the moment, what's in vogue, is religious freedom. Mm -hmm. The concept of religious freedom in general, but more specifically, what's happened as a consequence of the Ruddock Report. So the Ruddock Report, to give a little bit of context, was commissioned by the Morrison government after the same-sex marriage issue was resolved to kind of placate the religious aspects of the, well, traditionally the right and the conservatives, but across the spectrum, because of course there are Christians on the left as well. So the idea of the report was to see kind of what implications there were um, and what protections could be afforded to those trying to exercise religious freedoms so as not to kind of embark upon that slippery slope that obviously you heard about through the through the campaign for yes and no. One of the strongest arguments, I guess, from the no campaign was, well, if we start here, at what point does our religious freedom um, essentially be quilt to zero? Um, Reese, straight off the bat, what was your impression of either the Ruddock report, the reaction to it, mm-hmm. or kind of that issue in terms of religious freedom in general? Well, I think ultimately uh, religious institutions should have the right to discriminate um but see something like marriage for instance 
I think uh, regardless of your sexual orientation, you still have the same right to be legally recognized as any other couple. But I don't think there's um, an onus on religious institutions to have to have that kind of marriage in their church or whatever in their it church, is. mosque, whatever it is. Um, but I think religions ultimately are going to become, hopefully, if we keep progressing, more and more irrelevant. And so I feel like this, this kind of reaction isn't really the, the smartest reaction to have to something like this. And it's not really like, like the Pope, for instance, has come out and said, if you're gay, then you're still loved by God. And I feel it's slightly retrograde. It's not the smartest move on their part. But ultimately, I think religions should have the right to discriminate and the state should protect the freedom for them to do so. I think, I think um, obviously, you've covered a couple of things there. Just in, And I, look, I would, um, I think hopefully a little bit later in the podcast, we can go into whether or not religion is relevant slash necessary slash useful. Yeah. Um, that kind of really broad, I guess, really deep um, question. Um, obviously, so... The Australian Constitution um, says in Chapter 5, Section 116, that the, Com the Commonwealth shall not make any law for establishing any religion or for imposing any religious observance or from prohibiting the free exercise of any religion. So, um, that kind of idea of the separation between church and state is obviously a pretty fundamental one, and one which is kind of separates, I guess, a democracy from a theocracy, essentially. Um, and I guess the, the fundamental reasons are obviously um, the protection of the citizens. Um, the idea that the government cannot have a favoured religion nor outlaw religion on the basis that it doesn't like it. Um, it goes to the heart of what I guess a, a proper democracy and almost um, a true democracy really is. But you have in this situation, so the Philip the the Ruddock report the fifth recommendation I guess is the one the fifth and the the seventh one is the one that really sparked the anger most specifically so the fifth recommendation from Philip Ruddock who uh, was a former Liberal MP who chaired the chaired the report um, said that the Commonwealth should amend the Sex Discrimination Act of 1984 in relation to employment of staff engagement of contractors on the basis of sexual orientation gender identity or relationship status provided that so there are actually a bunch of um, conditions on which that they would be able to do that, right? It wasn't just that full stop. The conditions that provided in the precept uh, provided that the discrimination was founded in the precepts of religion, um, the policy was publicly available, and um, the school provides like a written notice of the policy to prospective current employees and contractors. Mm -hmm. um, you've said before just then, I guess, maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth at mm -hmm. all, that they should be allowed to exercise mm -hmm. religious freedom. Mm -hmm. Does that extend to the, I guess, hiring or firing of same-sex teachers? Slash, the same thing essentially applies for Recommendation 7, which is in relation to students. Yeah, well, I think... It just... If they feel like that's... Firing, if they feel like firing someone because they're gay really is a, a, great, um, a great way to show their commitment to their God, then ultimately, and they feel like 
that's part of their religious freedom is to discriminate against other people then ultimately they should be allowed to do that but even within those religions there's disagreement on whether or not uh, that is something that they should do sure um, and so there, I mean there are aspects of religions that are abhorrent and shouldn't be protected by the state but what, how do you how do you decide which ones are okay which ones are wrong and who gets to decide and that? who gets to decide that and so I mean if you take a say cake shop for instance you remember the wedding cake sure. thing yeah 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 if you're just going to say to gay people listen I'm not going to make you a cake then people are going to stop coming to your cake shop because most people don't have anything against gay, gay marriage sure and so I think th these people are just going to shoot themselves in the foot and we kind of saw the backlash against the all the schools signing it um, signing that that open letter and I think they're, they're just not going to do themselves any favors and I think it's wrong that they're I think it's it's morally a wrong wrong position but at the same time I think yes the state should um, enshrine their prerogative to discriminate sure i guess that as well kind of that goes back to almost like the libertarian mm. argument which is the people will vote with their feet yeah. what they believe um if it is the opinion of the wider general public that the schools which discriminate or wish to preserve the right to discriminate against gay people um that is like an abhorrent or an awful thing to do then they won't send their kids there and i oh sorry no no kind uh, of. just like i really do not think any of the any institution that has a position at odds with a national plebiscite should not receive any funding from taxpayers whatsoever if they want to hold a position like that then they should be totally cut off i don't think people should be funding bigotry that's yeah okay well that's um so obviously that the majority came back that yeah. were but also you had a significant wasn't an yeah. insignificant number Definitely. so then by definition you're also calling everyone who voted no a bigot i would say so yes. you're happy with that yeah Okay. Um, do you? My thing is, um, for us, like the, the the whole issue of discrimination is kind of funny to me because people discriminate against each other every day, mm -hmm. um, both consciously and subconsciously. Definitely, you discriminate against the person who you buy coffee from, but that's on the basis of a whole bunch of subjective factors: taste, smell, whatever, mm -hmm. price particularly service where you are where you are um i am in agreement with you i think if it is i just I, I get nervous when the state wishes to impose restrictions on liberties and freedoms mm -hmm. um because the idea that a bunch of people although elected can decide better in terms of can become moral arbiters of social issues more so than the people themselves i get nervous about that um so i don't think we have a political class at the moment that's capable of making those decisions anyway regardless yeah right now i don't i don't think the state of politics is pretty bad um, like it's too fragmented and disjointed anyway what i think is that you've basically what's happened is people have become more and more disengaged with the polis with with the public sphere there's a whole range of factors that I can go into. Just this, these are my thoughts. Um, and what's what that's allowed is for politics to become more and more specialised into this kind of bureaucratic class that are in Canberra, and they make they make a lot of decisions that people 
really don't know that much about and they don't have um, very much interest in and it's the, these two situations that kind of feed each other and so people are happy for the country to be be run and have a kind of make a decision every four years as to which person they want and then the media creates all these culture wars that are supposed to divide people into left and right um, and and then people just in general I'm making a lot of generalizations here but I'm people are happy to pursue basically pleasure at the expense of any real engagement with the way in which their country is run um, and the only time that, that like it was quite interesting when when the lockout laws came in that was probably the most politically engaged most young people had ever been sure. in their lives um, and maybe will ever be for the rest of their lives but they're, they're a whole host it'd of, be a contest probably yeah. between that and, and gay marriage yeah and I mean things like the environment all these other huge factors that don't really make it into the news or don't really pique people's interests are left on the wayside um, I think that's just a reflection of what we what we value as a culture uh, it's to do with capitalism as well um, and we can go into that if you want but we're kind of getting away from no that's fine yeah that's fine so is your argument that um the people in Cambridge are just naturally disengaged? No, nat- I, I just think they're a bureaucratic class. I think policy making is very uncreative um, uh, and it could, be, it could be so much better. But I think politics has become less of a duty and more of a career. And sure. I, I don't think that is very healthy. I don't think that's right. What would be some kind of one way in which you would potentially be able to resolve something like that I think that would require a lifetime of work and study and I'm in no position to make any recommendations it is a difficult one Um, I mean I guess if we were to assume that we still operate within the bounds of democracy Mm -hmm. right because like if you look at say um, Plato and and the Republic towards the end when he's setting up what is the ideal state you recognise it's not a democracy at all it's the first thing Um, but the truth is, like, I guess there are definitely there, there are just trade-offs. Yeah, we get by virtue of the fact that everyone gets a vote, regardless of how smart they are, how dumb they are, um, what their origin, kind of their leanings are. One of the ways in which, because obviously we have two main parties who dominate politics, um, and then as well, kind of the Greens in like a close, like a immediate third, but not necessarily close. Um, Johnny Ruddock was advocating because what tends to happen is that these parties are dominated by factions and bosses so immediately once the candidates get pre-selected they're pre-selected not on the basis of whether or not they're relatable or reflective of the general population but more on the basis of whether they'll do favors for factional bosses right so i mean i guess like if we were going to operate in the bounds of a democracy and can continue to do that then one of the ways would be to democratize will make the the process by which candidates are pre-selected more democratic um i think there is obviously an issue right but i i don't know if this is necessarily necessarily unique to this time nor to this country like the idea of uh, politics being dysfunctional oh no no um so obviously like the question is where do you go from here i mean i think um I, i think democracy is a poor system that is naturally kind of broken but it is 
from what I can see, the best that we've got. Oh, yeah. I'm not arguing against democracy whatsoever, but I think it's very easy. People have very short memories, and sure. they're not very good at being grateful for what they have. Mm. And so I think it's easy to slide into this state, this this consciousness where you don't really respect what you have and you're willing to let it go in little increments and I, I think people are just just what the way we are culturally in terms of as, as a basically a consumerist society where everything's getting commodified we're retreating further and further into ourselves and the idea of community is disappearing sure and when that disappears politics is going to change and so I'm not saying Australia is unique in this. I think we can talk about Trump and what he represents um, and what's going on in Europe as well. I think p people are becoming more and more atomized and self-interest is taking over from kind of a sense of community. Not that people have never been self-interested either. Sure. I caveat that. I mean, this is the utility of religion as well. It gives people a unifying ideology. When I said, hopefully we're going to move away from religion in conjunction with that, mm. we need to find something to replace it. Sure. Because I think it's very hard for people to take responsibility for their lives, uh, to bear the cross, as J.B. Peterson would say. Mm. Um, and so we need some kind of moral compass with which to guide ourselves I just think religion is pretty crude and I think we could we could do better but I don't think progress is necessarily guaranteed either um, it'd be very easy for us to destroy ourselves in quite a short amount of time and so in terms of future I don't think our existence is necessarily something guaranteed by the progress we've made and I think a belief in unstoppable progress is more of a reflection of like a Christian interpretation of history as opposed to um, any sort of realism it's a difficult one for me um, because like Yuval Noah Harari in Sapiens talks about what it was that was able to catapult Sapiens Homo Sapiens from a, like a most intense barbarism for several uh, several hundred thousand years essentially um, and then propel them to be able to overcome all the obstacles in which the natural environment faced right? and he said one of the, the the key difference between the homo sapien and all the other species was their ability to communicate but more specifically to be able to believe in um, ideas okay. particularly so for example, like, um, like if you cut someone open, you you don't find any human rights. For example, mm. right? So it's yeah, but you would say, does it do human rights exist? Like, you don't think so? No, as a metaphysical concept, um, I think that there, I think human rights only exist when they're backed up by the state. I think as a metaphor, metaphysical concept, human rights are a really nice idea, mm. but if we've learned anything from history, it's that when you're staring down the barrel of a gun, doesn't matter if um, your human rights are inviolable. Sure. Yeah. Well, obviously, there's a, there's potentially a difference between um, 
their rights being able to be violated compared to whether they exist, if there is a distinction at all. You don't think so? Um, probably there's a distinction. Um, but I don't think there's anything. Oh, sorry. This is getting onto a different topic, but that's fine. Um, what would I say? I would say. I guess you got to keep. This is like um Christopher Hitchens concept keeping two separate books so he like an accountant when he works for a dodgy firm he has the 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 dodgy book and he has the one he shows to the tax man and so what i believe personally is i don't believe that there's anything unique or special about human life and so i don't believe human rights exist a priori as a concept um but then in my book that i live by as well the the nice one i think they're important because they allow allow us to function better if we sure. have a belief in respecting each other. But as as something that exists in an ideal world, no. Sure. Well, that makes sense. Um, obviously, there is a there is a difference between the real basic human instincts compared to. Like there is obviously just that natural friction between mm. what we are innately, that yeah. kind of that will, that drive to survive, whatever it is, yeah. and what we have have to turn into in order for the society to function. Yeah. Right. There's obviously that natural tension. Yeah. But what I was saying, um, and I totally concede that point. That's totally right. Um, but what I was saying in terms of the Homo sapiens was their ability to cooperate in terms of large numbers in intricate ways, mm-hmm. and the kind of the way that you move past that natural self-interest is a belief in a kind of society, nationalism, whatever it is, uh, that allows you to form these groups, mm-hmm. right? So I'm saying in terms of like religion, um, I just don't think, like we've been around for several hundred thousand years. True religion as it stands today in its current form has only been around a couple thousand years. Yeah. Um, to get to the really refined point, I guess, refined in the crude sense that yeah. religion is, and in the last couple hundred years, mm. really, I, I think I mean, it, only for certain ones. I mean, I would. You had like the Hundred Years' War in Europe with, with the Reformate with Christianity, sure. but you know, Islam, for instance, hasn't had a Reformation yet. Really, no. they're they're kind of. You know, the, these religions are in different stages of development. As sure, well. I don't think they're all. Um, yeah, they started at the same time, nor yeah. progressed at the same rate. I agree with you. Um, the question, though, I guess, does um, religion have any benefit to people today? Has it had any true benefit to people at all throughout history? Yes, and yes. Yeah. Um, but obviously the the question in the same way would be, would it be, would those benefits still exist or a number of benefits equal or greater exist without religion, right? Mm-hmm. What would you say? Because if we're going to say that we like, we would hope that religion would become less relevant, mm. then you would, it's, it's a cost-benefit analysis, mm. essentially, isn't it? I think religion ultimately is a structure of thought, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that 
religion probably won't disappear in a true sense maybe the manifestations that we have now will go but I would say consumerist society is a type of religion it has a set of beliefs it has a teleological endpoint um, and there are certain things that you have to do within this set of beliefs to achieve that endpoint and um, you know religion is ultimately suspending reality for some kind of spiritual gain mm. and I don't think I don't think that will disappear I mean I think that the the alternatives that we're coming up to probably not as fulfilling as say Islam or Christian Christianity or Hinduism or Buddhism um, in an ideal world if we had the capacity to create basically a wholesome version of religion that left us spiritually spiritually fulfilled I think that that's that would be possible and that would be a good thing what would that in terms of like because one, one of the kind of common features or whatever particularly amongst uh, Christianity and Islam is the idea of the afterlife mm. right the idea that whatever happens during this life which is finite and unbearably painful um, and awful and by virtue of the fact that we are finite our limbs are finite um, we feel pain um, then there has to be some element of afterlife mm. at least you've got to think with our current version of uh, rationality would that still be a part of I think in a perfect religion no I, mm. I don't think that that should be a, a feature of it and I find I find the whole question of afterlife quite a boring one because I mean if you think about it you cause yourself a lot of suffering thinking about am I going to live do I have to do x y and z in order to live in a good way after I die really what's going to happen is when you die you're not even going to know that you're dead because being dead is a state of non-existence or on the other hand you're going to um, there will be an afterlife but to think that you have some chance of trying to comprehend what that's going to be is equally futile so sure. um, I think there's a quote from um, Wittgenstein and he he kind of talks about this in a far more eloquent way than I can but he says one of the things I remember is um, him saying something along the lines of the, a man who can live in the present lives forever and so I think it's very important to try and ground yourself mm. in in your life and it's, it's like mindfulness right I know that's kind of like a trendy hip thing for eastern suburbs yoga going yeah kind of eating. latte sipping people mm. um, but I think it makes your life a lot better if you can practice that kind of mindfulness yeah I agree I like but you see like Will and Ariel Durant when they're documenting kind of religion sees particularly in let's just say the last 2000 years or whatever it is has seen um it goes in waves, particular yeah. waves, and what tends to happen is, um, like, it has deaths and revivals and deaths and revivals, but it's almost always correlated, inversely correlated to um, the kind of level of prosperity with humans. So you often see that during the most um, impoverished times, people become more religious, particularly amongst the the religions which promise an afterlife. Yeah. So obviously the idea that going your suffering is worth something um, is a powerful one, 
and it actually renders a lot of solace and hope to a lot of people. So I know you mentioned the idea that it kind of getting yourself into heaven obviously causes a lot of pain, but on the con like at the same time you would say that people are going to go through a lot of pain anyway. Yeah. Um, like I don't know if trying to fit into a let's just say Christianity puts you in a box where you have to do certain things um, to get into heaven. If that would be any more painful than the life that you're already living. Mm. Because um, I mean, the thing is, like, I could, I'm conflicted on it because I can see what you're saying when you say that you hope Christianity becomes, or so, well, not Christianity specifically, but religion becomes less and less relevant. I feel like the burden of proof there. I don't like. I don't want to be the guy who stands up for the for the crimes of the church during yeah. the 1500s. I don't want to be the guy who who has to stand up for Islam um, when it was founded by kind of a really militant warmonger and in large parts of uh, the middle east today uh, that type of practice is still practiced i don't want to be the guy who stands up for it but i also think the burden of proof um, to say that it is well if it's you want it to be relevant it's still quite it's pretty large i think it's definitely still relevant yeah um i just don't want it to be sure yeah sure um well, do you think we would have to change kind of our metaphor? Like, is there, is there some kind of evolution that we would have to undertake? Because obviously the will to, to know what we're here for and why we're here is so powerful. I think our whole education system would need to change. Primary education, secondary education, the way that we look at tertiary education. Um, yeah, I think, and it would, it would, we would need to have like a realignment of, what we value definitely when you think about the the way at least I was I mean we went to the same school sure um, there was never really any focus on your soul I mean we, we went to a religious school but it was pretty I mean the religion it's a religious school but the way they taught religion was pretty poor um, it, it wasn't the most intelligent people telling us about some of the most complex ideas and about spirituality and so you know, spirituality kind of you know for a lot of atheist people is a pejorative term it doesn't need to be it's a very important concept and it doesn't necessarily have to be in relation to numinous experiences like jesus turning water into wine sure. blah 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 yeah. um there's no you know like we had we had how to be a man in a, in a textbook and we had boys to men week i just think there should be dedicated you know three times a week there should be philosophy classes taught by really intelligent people um about a philosophy is isn't like some thing that you sit in the library and you study splitting hairs uh, you can do that and like dynamic paradoxes yeah. and stuff like that yeah like yeah, it's, sure. it's enjoyable it's fun but it's ultimately a way of life and it's just about thinking, um, being in tune with partly why you think what you think and sure. should you think it, um, and what is a good way to live your life. And we, we didn't really have that. And I think if we were talking about uh, changing the education system, that would have to be sure. a pretty important part of it. I agree with, I agree with you. Um, I mean, it would almost be like going back to kind of the way that 
the upper class in like ancient Greece mm. were taught like they had their private tutors and they would do like mathematics yeah philosophy um, the problem the problem I see with that is obviously like we have people struggle, struggle to teach Christianity the way it is mm. let alone dealing with concepts which spread like from fatalism nihilism um, postmodernism um, even to like the Stoics and like all that stuff the question of like philosophy to even be able to understand it yourself is difficult yeah right and so the idea that like the education system as it is is it's pretty poor I just think that teaching should be become a, a profession on a similar level to law or medicine because I agree it's it's we're taking these young kids and we're supposed to be turning them into people who are going to run the world and so why are we why do we basically have I mean this is quite rude but you know a lot of teachers are stupid why are they why are they educating people like you think about how pathetic some of your teachers were how small they were as people and they have the minds of young children in their hands and they, they get to sculpt them on a daily basis and we're, we're paying these people very little which means that um, why, why would you as someone that got a 99.95 with the potential to go and make six figures within the next six, seven years sure. um, why would you go and do teaching yeah. when you don't get respected really you don't you don't make a lot of money and you work a lot so we need to I think if we want to get serious about education um, then we need to incentivize people to pursue a career in it I agree the incentive problem is a big one mm. um, now the question of uh, how do you resolve that is obviously a, a kind of a totally different question oh, yeah um, Because, like, but even you go to some of the highest um, paid uh, lecturers, for example, at Sydney Uni, I would contend a lot of them have no idea mm. either. Um, I think it almost, it's like that old 80-20 rule where it's like a, the vast majority of the people really just don't have any idea. And that being said, even amongst the 20%, it's still unbelievably concentrated where it's like even a small fraction really do get it and then the kind of the rest are, are doing their best. Um, and But then I also think, I agree with you in the sense that um, teachers should be elevated to a status worth achieving. Yeah. I, think, I think educating people is one of the most honourable and noble things you can do. But I think it's only for us to be able to get there, there has to be it kind of it feeds into itself mm. because we've got people who shouldn't really be teaching which degrade the status of the people who like degrade the, the teaching profession as a whole yeah. which means like it's not worth going into even if like even if the, the money didn't matter to you mm. why would you go into an industry which people are constantly criticising you you're not really elevated at, to any degree in terms of stature and it kind of continues to feed into itself mm. um, it's a dangerous cycle yeah. and I agree that particularly We've got a declining birth rate. Um, we've got a situation in which, like, uh, results in comparison to other nations are not improving. Um, I like. I don't want. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, because obviously you can put you put the tin out, the hat out, and say, well, we got to pay these teachers more. And then it's like, well, should we do that in conjunction with 
raising that like for example the ATAR to do a teaching course like that could be something more practical but at the same time like we're short on teachers yeah. for public schools and public schools don't have enough resources <clears throat> so it's like it's it's one of those things where it's like you say okay in an ideal world we would like to have a situation which public teachers are elevated to the same status as say a, univer- a tenured university lecturer is mm-hmm. at now but it's like how can you do that yeah you know it's a tough one but like I, I agree with you totally that the like we've got to focus on primary education. Um, I also think a lot of the, this whole focus on the ATAR is not good for a lot. A lot of people just shouldn't be in school. I don't mean that in a um, like I'm saying that there are different types of intelligence. Oh, I agree. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so school is a system in which basically only you know one or two types of intelligence are rewarded. Yeah. And you get kids who are great at building stuff or they're great dancers or they're great musicians and they have to sit through all these classes that really don't mean anything to them that they struggle in a lot you know and cause them a great deal of unhappiness mm. and and then at the end basically at the end of the whole thing they get told they're stupid on a piece of paper sure and i really don't think i think that's something that we need to look at as well yeah it's tough because obviously you've got to, you've got to also at the same time find a way. If there's there's it's the classic there's limited resources, yeah. infinite wants, right? So you got to find a way to cull, and filter, and or like rank people in truth. But obviously, it'd just be more efficient to take them out of school, put them into something where they can contribute better to society. I agree with you. Uh, look, yeah. I agree. With, I think the idea that we're forcing people to complete something that they really don't have any interest in and is only going to dampen their self-esteem. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, the question is, what's the alternative? Yeah. So, um, like, this is... I mean, it's kind of a random thing and obviously it's a little bit off topic, but one of the issues you face is that, say, for instance, um, instead of going to school, you want to get a job, mm-hmm. right? I think if, if your parent... Like, if we, we, we trust people, uh, parents, to decide whether or not it's okay over a range of choices, like pretty much anything um, to do with a kid up until they're 18. But like for whatever reason, the kind of the state comes in and says, well, they've got to, they've really got to go to school. They've got to, at least till 16. Yeah. Like I find that strange, mm. bizarre. Um, no one knows their parents, their kids, you know, no one knows the kid better than the parents. I think if, if, if the parents want to homeschool them or they want to give them a job or they want to do something like that, a range of skills, like you can tell pretty early on like which way a kid is heading. Yeah. If pretty early on. If they're not academic yeah. or not. Like the idea that we only really find that out till they're 18, I don't really buy. Yeah. Um, and I just think if it wasn't just like so heavily, and not, not only that, but the way that we teach obviously hasn't really changed. Yeah. Um, in terms of we have like the same number of school hours and like we teach Monday to Friday and it's like I just don't think there's that natural competition when a state monopoly it's essentially a state monopoly yeah. um, that, that's just what you get you really get this cookie cutter standardised no room for creativity um, box cutter version of students coming out each one of them is the same where you've got they spent you know a lot of them come out with crippling anxiety um, they all know how to memorize an essay, but they don't like they don't understand Julius Caesar. Mm. They don't understand it. Mm. They know the quotes, but they don't actually understand what it means. They don't understand what sh- uh, Shakespeare's contribution in terms of um, literature to to English was. Mm. Um, 
like obviously finding out a way to test students is difficult mm. but I just like this idea of the state monopoly regulating how people learn I think is dangerous that's a very interesting way to look at it actually as a state monopoly hadn't really thought of that but it's true even private schools you have to follow the curriculum yeah um, but getting back to it to bring it almost all the way back because we've almost come full circle to yeah. the extent to which schools can exercise freedom um I think in the United States, something like 37 out of the 50 states um, do not fund religious schools. No, no taxpayer. Um, and I know you mentioned the idea that religious schools should be able to discriminate. In some, I, I'm also for that. Like that, it's a pretty open policy as well yeah. from the Ruddick report. Like if we're honest, mm. um, the question of taxpayer funding though is a, is a good one. Um, do you still you still reckon? they shouldn't receive taxpayer funding. Yeah. Okay. Do you think then, so like, for example, the parents of kids who are going to public schools mm. may say, well, look, that's where our taxpayers, are, that's where our tax dollars are going for. Should we get some kind of tax incentive, like a tax break on the basis that the, um, if you go to a non-religious uh, school, yeah, um, that means that they're going to have taxpayer funding, which means the cost of going to school is going to be less if not zero yeah should they be able to get a, a tax benefit I don't know because it's a real question yeah. it's a real question like as soon as you take away uh, if we say like if we say again like a child has a right to an education mm. whatever whatever that means education I guess today when people say right to education is a right to the state's doctrine of whatever the, you know, whatever's in vogue, really. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if they don't want to subscribe to that um, and they want to get their own religious one, should they be able to get a tax benefit? I would say, like, if we're going to cut funding, look, I, I think you should cut taxes wherever possible. I think the idea that the government spends your money better than you do is... Not true. It's not It's fundamentally not true. If you look at policy, it's just... But you look at the NBN, yeah, right. That is crazy. Nuts, isn't it? It's crazy. If ever there's a like an advertisement for yeah. like the private sector, yeah. really, um, that's it. But like I would say, if we're gonna like any time where you're gonna cut funding somewhere to uh, like where people are going for what is a right, mm -hmm. which is what we say education is, then I think the natural reaction should be you cut the tax. Yeah. I think that's the only way you would even be remotely able to do it. Um, and also, I think, I think, like, if you ask the majority, like, the the extent to which people say they're, you know, obviously they're religious, it's declining. Mm. Um, but still, there is a, a pretty substantial proportion of Australians who identify not only as religious but as Christians, mm. right? So you'd be you'd be saying, well. The state run without religion. Sorry, the state run schools with no religious affiliation. The government is essentially saying deliver better outcomes mm. than the religious schools. Just because you're a religious school doesn't mean you're going to discriminate, though. But what? Yeah, just because you you you, you don't have to. Yeah. So but in the same way that like 
um, we've been seeing that the schools, there's been no known case where a kid has been expelled mm. or a teacher's not been employed on the basis of their sexuality. Officially? O- officially, sure. I don't know, man. Yeah. I know. It's a tough one because I think Christianity in it, it has kind of reformed itself a little bit. Like the, stick, the key doctrine is, I guess, for the most part still there. Yeah. Obviously, you have among the different different denominations, like the different teachings, um, but the key doctrine is still there. It's not like the Christians aren't um, like burning women mm. aren't out there. Um, doing like I, I would say that the Christians are reasonably as a group pretty good now yeah and I I mean I just want to caveat the point about my uh, me using the word bigoted is definitely an ad hominem term sure which I'm not in favour of doing but also um, I'm not I'd, I'd happily argue without using that term against the position that sure. they hold um, and also I don't mean it to say that I think these people are bad people because I think that your consciousness oh, what's the man's consciousness is a candle flickering within the closed circuit of history that's what um, Gadamer says and so your consciousness is the result of your context and this is a completely different topic um, free will and the concept yeah. of the self yeah 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 um, but I think it's a really good one though um, I, I don't think these people are bad people they're just the result of certain contextual factors that have come into play and made them who they are sure um, one of the interesting things is that you see throughout history um, really like a whole bunch of examples where you put normal, normal people in a certain context and they lose their minds mm. like you see for example um, the Stanford Prison Experiment yeah um, the Phil Zimbardi or Zimbardo whatever his name is um, that is crazy they had to shut that down like within three or four days basically um, to give you guys um, an interesting thing you should look up because um, the, the book Philip Zimbardo wrote he was a lecturer I think at Stanford um, and he wrote a book on an, an experiment he ran where he got a, a random number of students to pretend to be guards in a prison and a random number of um, students to be um, prisoners and they had to act in character the whole time so they weren't able to they weren't able to break character. What ended up happening was that the guards began to become so barbaric and so um, torturous to the prisoners that they had to shut it down. I think it was supposed to run for two weeks. I think it only ended up running for like three or four days or something like that. Um, so what it is, that he calls it the Lucifer effect, which is, it almost goes back to like that kind of inner Jungian almost idea, the idea that, that within every person there is both good and evil. Um, and it, often it is the context that brings out one or the either. Now, the question of whether or not free will um, plays a role in that, I think is a good one. But like, I was listening to, um, it's gonna kill me, the the search for meaning. Um, Man's search for meaning? Man's search for meaning. Victor Frankl? Victor Frankl, yeah. So he was saying that, you, you still have choices um, that they're often just for whatever reason people's beliefs led them to do heroic things like in the prison camps in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany 
which he believed that there was some kind of choice that people made. Um, I don't look. I, I I refrain from the term, like to bring it back. Um, I refrain from the term bigoted because, in the same way that I don't believe that everyone who voted for Donald Trump is by definition a, a, a bigot, um, I don't believe any everyone who said no to same-sex marriage is bigoted as well. I think there were a number of reasons, you know, whether or not they were based in fact or not, um, for voting no. Um, but I don't think it necessarily makes you a bigot, bigot if you did. I also think it's quite arrogant to say that um, you have a monopoly on the concept of marriage. and Okay. A lot of people were saying concept of marriage can't change. It's just between a man and a woman. Sure. And uh, you know what I would say to that is, well, the concept of marriage has changed because woman is no longer the property of a man. Mm. They're not no longer. Um, well, they are. They're still you need a caro, but they're not. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you're not getting like. I just think that that's more of. A, but I feel like that's more of a. Um, even though that's that was definitely a. a, a a strong aspect and almost like a, a solidifying aspect of marriage up until relatively recently. I don't know if that, like, for instance, if I was arguing the other point, I would say, well, I don't like that's that's kind it's, of beside the point. It's still between a man it's and a still woman. Between a man and a woman. But marriage, marriage can change. Well, obviously it has. Yeah. Um, the question was not really can. I guess it was more should it. I also think marriage just shouldn't exist. <laughs> So, okay, all right. <laughs> That's just like uh, just burn the whole house down rather than try and you know do the renos. Mm. Um, okay, pitch it to me. Why shouldn't marriage exist? Well, why does it need to? I would say because in, well, you talk about like legally, the law yeah. legally and it solidifies a relationship between a man and a woman. Like even the research, contrary to popular opinion, the research shows that children who are brought up in a house with both a mother and a father end up doing better. But we should just have children brought up by the state in state-sponsored orphanages. No, I'm joking. <laughs> in like a young... And that's, a, that's like a republic yeah. concept. No, I just think... I don't know, I think uh, marriage for the sake of marriage is not necessarily a good thing and we could get more creative with um, how we codify our relationships. They're already de facto, like, when you talk about, um, I think I'm trying, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when you mentioned the idea of same-sex marriage initially, I feel like you said something along the lines of, um, they wanted the same rights or something like mm. that. Gay couples had almost, almost all much, a de facto yeah, relationship. Was, yeah. So they, so the question becomes, not so much do you want the same rights, but do you want the same thing? And yeah, it's also important to note there were a lot of um, same-sex couples that voted no. Yeah, yeah, sure. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think. Um, this is where it kind of gets into this people speaking for other people yeah. business. I think getting back to almost like that idea of accountability you speak for yourself and that's who you that's who you can really talk for yeah and this idea that people can get out and grandstand and say well i speak on like the i speak on the lgbtq community yeah i don't buy it number one there's, 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 a, there's an i at the end of that q mate just is there i think so yeah. Q, I, yeah well there's plus i don't know i look yeah it's too hard to keep up with that might have to get taken, <laughs> taken off 
Oh, I'm fit. It's like you lose track. Like you lose track. What is it? Careful, don't trigger me. Okay, I won't trigger you. I'll do no, my I'm best. Joking. Um, um, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, but like, I just think people were so quick. It undermined the agenda. See, this is the thing. It undermined the agenda of the people who were saying yes. I think to use terms like bigots mm. and stuff like that, because if it was really about that, what you what the pitch you have to make is that there will be no um, kind of detriment to the people who are already existing who believe in the, the, the traditional definition of marriage, mm-hmm. right? That's the pitch you have to make, and yeah. that there's only upside. Yeah. Now, when you, when you frame a debate with language like, by definition, I don't know what your motives are. Mm-hmm. I don't know what forever, what, whatever reason you want to vote no. I, I don't know what it is, right? But to kind of say that by definition of your position, you're bigger, I think it, it did the yes vote a lot of harm. And you saw that in the polling. Yeah. You saw that in the polling. Before um, the campaign really started, um, massive favour towards yes. Now, the margin ended up still being reasonably considerable. Yeah. It um, wasn't massive. It wasn't, it wasn't like a yeah. catastrophic. Yeah. Um, but the polling well before the campaign started was much better for the yes side than what it ended up being afterwards. Because the campaign, what happened was you had the fringes come in and they ended up getting a much louder voice. As what happens almost all the time anyway. Yeah. Right, um, like, do you think there's a there's a rational argument to say that people who voted no for gay marriage um, were ipso facto bigots? I just know, don't. I'm not quite sure what argument you could put forward, um, other than. Yeah. You just don't want them to get married. Yeah. Argument could be um I mean that was that that was that stuff. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I'll just make it quickly. The argument then could be if we're gonna change the actual structure, so the two pillars of marriage traditionally has been the man and the woman, right? Mm. If we say that that is no longer the defining factor by which a marriage is constituted, mm. then there is in truth no legal principle on which you could say you can't further make further alterations to the actual structure of that marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that could you, for instance, if you were to say that it becomes now instead of a man and a woman, it becomes two consenting adults, mm-hmm. right? Which it does. There's absolutely really no legal principle on which you can't say it can't be three. Sure. For example, I don't have a problem with three though. Sure, you don't. Yeah. But let's just uh, say a person. Uh, yeah, but that doesn't make yeah. them necessarily bigger towards. Yeah. homosexual people mm-hmm. right if you say I don't really like the idea of three people being in a marriage it, it could just, be man woman man it right? makes them bigoted towards polyamorous sure and groups of people well not necessarily polyamorous groups of people but polyamorous marriage yeah sorry I didn't I just I was going to say couples but I didn't know what are you even saying trifecta yeah <laughs> um the yeah whole, the holy trinity yeah I mean do you kind of do you see what I mean or yeah. like no no I agree with you and look, to be honest, I didn't really hear that argument. Uh, I was just going to say, like, that know, wasn't a popular argument, no. right? Um, that's so rude. Um, do you want a refill? Yeah, thank you. Cheers. There you go. That wasn't a popular argument, but it was one I think that was more bound in rationality than a lot of the others. Um, 
I, don't, I just don't know if it if the the position the no position if so facto constituted bigotry or homophobia i think that's a stretch that's a pretty substantial burden of proof because unless you're a mind reader um and you're charles xavier you're gonna you're gonna struggle to be able to read the minds of all people at the one time i just think that that argument is quite generous to a lot of people the the legalistic argument in terms it's quite charitable um, I mean, I'm sure there are people that, that would make it, but I think there they, they would be few and far between. Sure. So, like, the, so the I question see, of whether... No, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have used the term bigoted. That was incorrect. That's okay. Yeah. Well, it looks like we've both eaten a little bit of humble pie, humble this, pie week. this week. All right, look... I feel like there may be bigots. Okay, there's no question that they would exist. In the same way, though, that people are bigoted towards short people, mm. girls are bigoted towards. Um, like for example, when women are ovulating, they tend to favour guys with stronger jawlines, wider jaws, and broad shoulders. That's a fact. Am I Shape right? up, gents. <laughs> Shape up. Next week we're going to be doing some shoulder exercises. Some shoulder exercises, and we're going to chew gum. Um, Does that work? Apparently. Sure. Well, you well, you think. So. You would think so, wouldn't you? That's that's a good one. Look, I think there are bigots out there, but everyone is bigoted. Mm. I think the idea that somehow people are bigoted only by one action. Like, I think we've got to to get away from the idea that the discrimination is inherently bad. Mm. Everyone discriminates against everyone every day. Oh, but I mean, there are... I mean, there are definitely some forms of discrimination that are terrible. Like, okay. Um, you got it. Like, the concept has to, to me. Yeah. What you have to prove is that okay. Okay, a black person shouldn't come and drink beer in, in this pub I like because they're black. Sure, but I think it's I think it, it's dumb. Yeah, but it's still, it's dis- dumb. That, that's what it's I'm still discriminatory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Racism is still discriminatory. But what I'm saying, it goes back to your point, though, like the idea that it's in the person's interest not to be. Mm. Okay, when we talk about the gay, uh, the, like the making a couple for a, like a cake for a gay wedding, yeah. um, the cake shop is going to be better off if they make the cake for the gay wedding on the proviso that everyone else agrees. So the question is, is the general moral principle consistent with that act there, right? If it is, then the cake shop's going to be fine. But if everyone thinks that's kind of abhorrent, that's kind of um, wrong, um, then they, they're going to get it kicked to them. And not only that, their reputation's going to be in tatters. Um, I just think, like, the lines become blurred mm. when, so let's just say we codify, like, the whole idea of the law is to reflect the kind of the general moral principles of society as large, uh, as a thing. Like, if we... As soon as you introduce like what kind of what constitutes discrimination, um, it's like a really blurred line, um, and then of course it's like, who gets to really decide? Mm. Like you saw what happened with the students at QUT. Oh, so that, that was like a the where um they use the computer. Yeah, they use the yeah. computers. Yeah, um, and they got sent to the um Julian Triggs, yeah, Human Rights Commission. And they didn't know what they'd done. They didn't something. know what they'd done. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Their I reputation mean, was totally destroyed. She's an interesting character. Do you think there should be such thing as like a 
like for example uh, like a race discrimination commissioner like tin alphabet soup mm. remember him yeah um is there is there a place for them just to, sorry just for the record yeah. I, I still think discrimination is bad yeah i still think racism is awful yeah okay i don't want it to be misconstrued that somehow i'm just saying oh well let's just let bygones be bygones yeah. as a principle i think it's wrong um but we have to accept the fact that people discriminate against each other for a range of reasons every day yeah i think yes there is a place for it um because it it, it has been a, a big issue um and if we can if we can um, no one no one should be judged um uh or treated differently because of the color of their skin well actually okay yes um and so if we if we ha- we we set out uh set up institutions that can, can deal with that i think that's a good thing but what is dangerous is that when you do that you're you're making race a big issue at the same time and so what we see with with the left i don't i don't like using that term uh, identity politics right it kind of deprives us of our humanity in a way because on one hand you're saying no we shouldn't be racist blah 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 but also i'm of a particular skin color or um gender sexuality therefore because my experience my opinion has been informed by this experience and i've been oppressed by power systems socio um political power systems I've, I've got more of a right to express myself than you. I feel like that's taking a step backwards as well. And so I just don't think we're, we're intellectually or morally equipped to be... Um, I, I think we really know what we're doing. I, uh, no, I agree yeah. with you. I, I think uh, collectively, yeah. we don't really know what they're doing. But even more so, do you think that would be even more the case than a single individual exercising extraordinary powers over whether or not he's a or she is a proper moral arbiter yeah over whether or not something constitutes racism and if it does there is they can decide a punishment which is appropriate mm. i think that's dangerous yeah and like you see those those students at qut their lives have just been totally destroyed no, I like, to, I but i mean i just think that that I don't know what that process is indicative of i mean if if that's indicative of something that happens regularly then that's you know, there's obviously something seriously wrong with what we're doing. Whether that was uh, kind of an outlier, I'm not sure. I don't know enough about it. Racial profiling, though, I think that that's an interesting topic yeah. of conversation. Sure. Um, I think it is definitely interesting. But uh, Jason Sarah was on there. Yeah. And he was like, he said he's, he was pretty funny about it. He was like, "Yeah, look, definitely the cops pull people like me, Middle and looking yeah. people over all the time." But he but he also said at the same time, but he's like, "Let's be real. Who are the guys who are playing the doof doof music, driving the cars around at two three in the am, you know, blaring the horns?" It's like stereotypes are not ipso facto bad or dangerous. They also can be rooted in some element of truth. It's they're a heuristic, basically. That's mm. how our mind operates on heuristics, not actually on uh, truth. Sure. Well, for example, yeah. our, like what I'm seeing right now is not the exact truth. Yeah. 
Um, it's the way in which our brain processes what we can't, which has been optimized for our survival. Um, like obviously, so we have, um, this country has been primarily white, mm. right, for several hundred years. And um, it's becoming less so now, but obviously the majority of people in the workforce, in any workforce, are going to be white, mm. right, by virtue of the fact that it's um, majority white country. So obviously your police force yeah. and whoever else performs kind of consistent daily um, racial profiling, I guess, people at the airport, whatever, um, there is going to be, naturally, I guess, racial profiling. I think in and of itself, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It makes sense. If there was... You, these mathematicians did study on who was do, carrying out the most bombings in Australia. Say we had like a spate of bombings and it was uh, 98, uh, 95% of the bombings were carried out by blue men. Yeah. Then it would be stupid not to um, pay more attention to people with blue skin. Sure. And so... Um, I, I don't. I think when people have such an emotional reaction to that kind of thing, like at an airport, um, you know, if I grow a beard, I'll get every time. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not even. I kind of look a little bit. I don't know. You what, look slightly ethnic. Yeah, I'm not, but I'm just saying, like, if I've got a tan yeah, and a know. beard, nah, Chinese, really? Chinese and Irish, yeah, and English. But yeah, I mean, it's just, and I mean, you're getting, you know. It's you, a momentary disruption. You're not getting cavity searched every time you get pulled over. Like, you're, yeah. you're going through the scanner and it's yeah. not pleasant. And it, it, can, it's a, it can be for something yeah. a little bit humiliating yeah. or whatever. And that's completely understandable, but, you know, it does make sense. Sure. Yeah. You can't, like, stereotypes in a large part kind of develop for a reason yeah there is a, a like in the same way that kind of um, language and popular like you can't just insert a word mm. into the dictionary and, and and expect for people to pick it up right into the popular vernacular it gets picked up it's really this kind of natural osmosis where a word or stereotypes kind of get filtered into society now either it's like the same way that uh, someone will take a blood transfusion either the body rejects it or it accepts it mm. right um now, stereotypes can be, I guess, harmful and embarrassing, but the way in which humans have survived f for several thousand years is by being able to rapidly assimilate unbelievably large amounts of information, categorize that into a, a, a system, a strata, what is most dangerous to least dangerous? Mm -hmm. What is something I can eat versus something I can't? For example, we are naturally um, attracted to different, uh, like particular colors. Um, when we're eating food and stuff like that, um, stereotypes. We're like, as you said, um, we are get uh, like in terms of like the human rights thing. We're no more special, I guess, than say like an animal or something like that. But we're still naturally animals, mm. if you believe in the theory of evolution. Yeah. Um, we're still naturally animals, and there is still that natural animalistic characteristics, in my opinion, anyway. We still drive like eighty-five percent, ninety percent of what we do. We're still, we're just pretending. For a large part, that would you know that we're not just animals. Mm. I think, and but not only that. Like if you go throughout history, most of the crimes, like most of the mass, um, serious mass 
kind of incarceration or genocide has been intraracial rather than interracial. Okay. Um, like within uh, Sri Lanka, China. Yeah. Um, they s- tend to separate themselves into different groups. Um, like for example, you, you wonder who, how the blacks were sent to America. Mm. The white people bought off the Arabs. The Arabs bought the blacks off other blacks. Mm. It was the blacks that originally enslaved the blacks. It wasn't white people. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just dangerous. Like it's even though we we have a natural filter for um, separating people into groups and stereotypes, it is just a survival mechanism. Mm. I feel. At the same time, though, one weakness in that argument could be you could argue just because it's natural. You could you call you fall into the naturalistic fallacy there. Mm. What is natural is if so facto good, yeah, not yeah, necessarily sure. good. But I mean, I don't really have um, the tools to. But then you just—I yeah. guess you could. Then one counter would be you can separate what's good from what's natural. Yeah. Um, and you could say. Well, what's ultimately the most natural thing or most good thing, would you say, human survival? So, if... Some people would argue against that. Sure, there are people who are anti-human. Find that, like, I think... I feel like you almost find that a little bit in the Greens. They would put, like, the welfare, say, of of an animal on Mm. the same part as that of a human, which I think is... It's just silly, in my opinion, anyway. Mm. What do you think? No, I think, um, I think, well, you're wrong. This isn't, this isn't a high quality production. Oh, no, it's just, it's... oh that's fine, dude, yeah, totally sorry, fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hi, man. How's it going? Good, how are you? Jack, yeah, yeah, I remember you. Orange Kings. Oh. Race. What was your last name? Rushton. I was in the year below. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there you are. I don't know. It's kind of, it's like an enticing argument. It's interesting. I'm not a vegetarian. Like I love my burgers and stuff. I also think that for me to eat an animal is morally wrong, but I do it anyway because I enjoy it. You think it's morally wrong? Yeah, not just because you're, you're killing something, but also just in terms of the environment. You know, like um, agricultural agriculture industry, meat industry. I, I don't know what your position on climate change is, but it, I'm skeptical. You're skeptical, okay. Um, I just think it contributes a lot to um, the destruction of the environment. But also, I think um, we'll probably die before like um, any real effects of proper climate change effects come into play humanity will be gone by then so it doesn't really matter well that would that wouldn't that suggest so that the current effects of climate change are almost negligible marginal oh i'm talking like in the next hundred years you reckon we're gone by the next hundred okay it's pretty soon yeah what do you reckon nuclear war yeah some kind of war that stuff that's happening with china at the moment is and this is this is tied up with what we're talking about the state of politics it's come becoming like a charade i think people are becoming more and more disengaged politics are becoming 
less and less politicians are becoming less and less responsible corporations are taking over I sound like a bit of a conspiracy theorist now. But Not, uh, I don't think you're a conspiracy theorist. You sound, uh, you're coming across to be, I could be totally out, mm. almost like a um, anarchist slash Marxist. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm definitely not a Marxist. I think there are some interesting Marxist critiques of society, but sure. definitely not because it, like. I just hear the word cut when people talk about corporations mm. as a general thing in negative light. Yeah, I get well, skeptical. No, so not like I don't think corporations in of the, and of themselves are a bad thing, but I think the corporate interest in the political process, especially in America, sure, is like is lobbying and stuff lobbying, like that. Lobbying, yeah, yeah. Is, is quite a dangerous thing. Um, and and like Hillary Clinton, for instance, like oh, there's a quote of her saying that don't be so naive like of course i represent wall street and the banks like of course i've got their interests at heart um i don't think that's a very good thing i don't think it's a good thing yeah. but i also think she paid a co- she paid like one yeah. of the, that was a her not winning yeah was by consequence uh special interests yeah like when um trump was um i think trump was debating was it like the republican primary convention or something like that he bagged out ted cruz for example and then the people in the crowd started booing and Trump was like, that's all Ted's like special interests and stuff like that, and um, booing. And it was kind of like, just s- smack that straight down. Um, like she's like, uh, like you take your, the Uranium One deal, for example, that is obscene. Yeah. Um, you also take just the extraordinary amounts of money she takes from like big pharmaceuticals and stuff like that. Um, she's something else mm. but I, I think it's a problem I think it's a problem but I also think um, the well, question the question of should corporations businesses be allowed to partake in any process of the uh, any part of the political process at all right it's got to be kind of like I feel like it's either got to be yes or no you got to decide I think you could you could limit it I think they should because they they represent a lot of power and so I, I think you can really stop it because the thing about people is that they're incredibly creative and so yeah. it'd be naive to just say this and no but um, I just think if it's unchecked and unscrutinized that's not that's not the best thing you know that like having having the ex-CEO of Exxon as your he was what head of uh, it was Rex Tillerson yeah. was um, foreign trade uh, what was he the Environment wasn't he Secretary, uh, foreign secretary or something? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, no. He used to go around all, all the places to different countries and. Who was the Who was the guy that was head of the environment, and he used to work for like an oil company or something? Or was that another thing? I don't know. I don't know. I can't confirm or deny. Yeah. Maybe. But like the, but, but I mean, I, I guess Trump's argument would be, um, like for example, Rex Tillerson, who ran Exxon Mobil. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest companies in the world Trump might say yeah well I agree with you that there's potentially a conflict of interest but the guy is good like to get to the top of ExxonMobil you mm. you got to be hard worker diligent know how to do business smart smart right and I, I don't think that's yeah that's not a disqualification definitely not I think it's an issue like yeah. for instance there's a whole bunch on the um of his advisors are all from Goldman Sachs like for instance the, the concentration the saturation of Goldman Sachs um, considering like my I had, like the fact that the, the banks were bailed out I think was disgraceful yeah right um, you just can't do that 
Uh, but that's not even capitalism. No, but, I agree. Yeah, with you. I mean, they, they if we were re- if that was really a capitalist, if that was pure society, capitalism, they'd they'd have all died. Yeah, and they wouldn't have been lending in the first place. Yeah, because they knew that they would have got bailed out. Yeah. And so, like for instance, we've got all these frameworks now, like Basel and whatnot, mm. which is all just a whole bunch of bureaucrats all assembling in, in Brussels or wherever it is, or wherever they decide to, you know, fly into five-star hotels next at taxpayers' expense. But they all just sit around and put in new frameworks and guidelines and stuff. Like full well that they're not going to work because the banks are just going to pursue what they want to do anyway on the basis that they're going to get bailed out regardless. Yeah. And it's going to be the taxpayer footing the bill rather than the shareholders. That winds me up. That was that was a disgrace. Definitely. I think in Iceland they let the banks. Yeah, they did. Let the banks yeah. fail. Yeah, they did. Mm. They did. What's happened there now? I think it's regret. It's it's a natural. You know, I'll tell you something. Um, the idea that the the uh, the bank should intervene, or sorry, partic- um, the government should intervene in times of crisis, was not always the case. Like there was a depression in 1919 to 1920 in, in the United States. It's called the Depression You've Never Heard Of. And basically what happens is, so I was listening to this guy, Murray Rothbard, who's one of the um, head proponents of kind of Austrian economics. Yeah. Right. And he says, what happened was you had uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt was not the uh, president, but he was one of the advisors to the president or whatever. Um, I'll look it up now because... What happened was, I think FDR was saying, um, here we go, 1920 to 21. Um, basically, um, FDR was saying you got to pump money into the economy, right? If the banks fail, you got to pay them out. What ha- what ended up happening was um, the president at the time um, said, no, 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 we're going to leave it. We're going to leave it. We're going to leave it. Um, Calvin Coolidge, that's it. Calvin Coolidge, President Calvin Coolidge, said, no, no, no we'll leave it, we'll leave it. By the time, and then at the end, FDR con- convinced him, right, and said, okay, time to intervene now. By the time it, that from the start from which FDR said we got to pump money in to the time where he finally convinced Coolidge, it was like 12 months, the depression had gone. Okay, it had just totally revamped itself because what the argument is, the economic argument is, is that um, recessions and crisis are totally necessary. They need to be sharp and they need to be fast. Okay, so what happens is you have a misalignment of capital and credit. Yeah. Basically, people start funding long-term projects with um, loans and things they can't repay. Naturally, almost everything goes back to banks lending out money to people that they shouldn't yeah really because they got to make a profit credit growth um and then what happens is people start defaulting and the whole thing collapses right and it f- hits everyone everyone feels it okay then the, the bad banks with the bad loans get written off everything contracts but it still ends up being bigger so you kind of just have this natural thing where it goes small large and then it comes shrinks a little bit and then it goes big and then it shrinks a little bit and then it goes yeah just have this natural credit so the problem is what we're doing now is you have Artific- we're printing money like this concept of quantitative easing particularly yeah. in Japan like Japan has negative interest rates yeah. like the idea that you lose money if you put it in a bank isn't that obscene it's ridiculous it's so stupid they have that in Europe now as well yeah they've places. had it in Europe but I think they're, they're slowing off on it now cause, yeah. but it's like they're printing money mm. it's like 
you know, I sound like a conspiracy theorist now because I'm the one saying that no one at the, at the Federal Reserve or, or uh, Japan's central bank has any idea. But the idea that you can just print money um, for no reason, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And you can have negative interest rates, the idea that you put money into the bank and you get less out after a year. It doesn't make sense, right? It tells you something's wrong. Um, and this is what happens when instead of just letting the recession, because it's not popular, recessions aren't popular for governments. Yeah. That's a fundamental problem. Um, the ability to run the economy is in like the top two or three um, issues for every voter, regardless of political persuasion, right? Um, so obviously the extent to which the government is running well or smoothly um, in terms of the economy is going to impact voters. Um, so obviously they don't want to be the one servicing a crisis, so they just pump money into the economy and then it kind of smooths it out, but the underlying structural problems are, are still there. Nuts, man. Sometimes you just gotta let the house burn down a little bit. I think you do. Well, they've they've just prolonged. From what I've read on it, I'm not. Um, I mean, I was originally studying economics, but I changed. Mm. But um, they they seem like they've just prolonged the problem with, it's with make QE. It worse. Yeah. yeah, it's just going to be a bigger crash. It's going to be massive. I mean, the U.S. government debt is huge. I I don't know the exact number, but it's obscene. It's it's at least ne- nearly a trillion dollars, yeah. if not more. Australian government debt is, is not small either. I think we're like, um, last time I checked, in the order of billions. Yeah. Like several, um, the deficit was like 20 billion, but we still owe an enormous amount of money. The deficit doesn't include borrowings because the deficit only includes like what's coming in and what's going out. Yeah. But like the debt in and of itself is massive. We're just paying, obviously we're just paying interest on it. And it's all to China. It's all Chinese debt. So, the problem is like, this is all fine until rates go up. Yeah. When rates go up, people start defaulting and then it hits the fan. Anyways, we've um, we've really covered it, haven't we? Yeah. Um, Went off topic a bit. A little bit, but that was That's good. Right. Now, is there anything you want to give a plug to? Or, like everyone normally gives, a, if they have a plug. Do you want to give a shout out to anyone? Oh, shout out to James Burgess, loyal fan. Says he wanted a shout out. Is there anyone you can give a shout out to, or you might want to cut this one out? But um, Go. shout out to T Hawks. That's like Voldemort, and you just don't say that name. <laughs> I've got a good wait. Actually, well, I'll tell you this off the camera, off the okay. Air. All right, off there. All right, well, Are you okay? almost. Um, thank you to uh, Reese Rushton for coming on. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. Um, I think it's a good one. Um, hopefully it quenches the thirst of the people who are asking for it. 